0: You're listening to The Perth Property Show, Australia's only weekly property podcast by West Australian experts for West Australian listeners. Catch your latest episode every Monday at 7am.
1: Hello and welcome to another week of The Perth Property Show. As always, I'm your host, Trent Fleskins. Each and every week, we are talking with Perth's number one experts in their field relating to property, and this week is no different. In this episode, we're going to talk about interest only versus principal and interest rates, and we've got Aaron DiCamillo from Road Finance in to help us out with that conversation. Aaron, thanks for coming in.
2: Pleasure, mate. How are you going?
1: Good. Thanks, mate. This is something that's really a changing environment for us, isn't it? In the last few years, the whole ideology has changed. It used to be very straightforward, in my opinion, and especially if you're investing. Yep. Now, there are a lot of considerations as to whether one situation is beneficial or not.
2: It's not as straightforward at all as it used to be, particularly uh, with the decoupling of rates.
1: Let's go back. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about when it happened, why it happened, and how it's now affecting our decisions.
2: Well, it's been happening over a period of time, but probably the most profound impact was uh, was in March last year, when we, we talk about the APRA changes, when the banks were forced to reduce their, their interest-only loan books, and that had a big impact. One of the levers that the banks pulled to reduce the amount of lending they were doing on in interest-only was make the lending criteria harder, but also to make uh, the rates slightly higher.
1: Because before that, it was, just it, was all, the same.
2: it was just one rate. Yeah, that's right.
1: Whether you're doing interest-only or P&I, it was all one rate, and all you did was just tick a box and say, I don't want to... Pay principal. Principal, that's right. Very Doesn't easy, change very your simple. interest rate. Yeah. But now, the banks have been very smart, haven't they? And they've used market forces to push us. Not force us, but push yeah. us away from interest only. Yeah. How, how have they done that?
2: Well, the conspiracists will say it was a, as a cash grab because it's an opportunity for them true. To, to bump rates. But either way, they've uh, they've changed their rates. So if you've got a principal and interest loan, you might get X if you're looking to make that, uh, if it's an owner-occupied property. If you're looking to change that interest only, you'll get a rate bump up a little bit, slightly higher than that. If you're an investment property owner, your rate might be on principal interest, say X plus... 20%. 20%. Yep. And then if you go, well, not 20%, but 20 points. Yep. And then if you go investment interest only, you, you're you gonna, get smashed. You're going to get the highest rate. Yeah, yep. that's right.
1: It could be a, at least a 1% differential in yeah, some bank's cases. At, the, at at least 1%. Yeah, that's right. Because of that, what is that now making us consider doing?
2: Well, I guess this is where the results speak to themselves, where it is pushing more people to take a principal interest approach to their, to their investment properties mm. and paying that down because they're going to get a much better rate. Uh, it can make sense for them to do that.
1: So let's use an example. Let's say you're spending $2,000 a month on interest because yep. your interest rate is 1% higher than the principal interest one is, would have been. Yep. A lot of people these days come to us, and I'm sure they come to you as well, and they say, look, I'm paying too much. And you go, yes, you are. And they well, how can we get our repayments down? Well, what we're saying right now is, look, we're not going to get your repayments down too much, but what we're going to do for that same money is put in a whole bunch of principal payments because the interest portion of that is actually a lot smaller now. Yeah,
2: that's right. So you're paying you're paying a much less uh, interest component, therefore you're eating into your capital a, a lot quicker, mm. uh, or your principal, I should say, and therefore putting you in a better position quicker on that property. So I guess the only caveat we put around that is when we structure a loan, and, and this is where we'd have to urge people to consult the advice of a, of a tax accountant, uh, is where you've got some underoccupied occupied debt and some investment debt all, all things being equal typically you'd like to keep your investment debt uh, at a reasonably high level as long as you're paying down that underoccupied occupied debt because that's your non-deductible debt you want to you smash that as quick as you can Yeah. if you've got no under-occupied debt then I can't see any reason why you wouldn't have a principal interest repayment on your investment loan you want to be getting some equity in there
1: it, I guess it's become a cultural thing over decades people on their investment loans go why would I want to pay P&I everyone says go interest only and I guess what I'm saying to people these days personally is think of it as a force savings plan you know it's your money when you sell that property you're going to get that money back yep so why pay an extra $400 a month in interest just to not pay principal when for that same overall cost, you could be paying that $400 bringing down your loan?
2: Yeah, that's right. I mean, there's a, as an overarching principle, that's bang on the money. I think there are circumstances where you would deviate from that. Uh, for example, if you're buying an unoccupied property with a view to turning it to an investment property, say so in a couple of mm-hmm, years' time, mm-hmm. uh, it wouldn't be uncommon for us to set up uh, an interest only loan with full offset so we can pay as much as we can into that offset account while we're living in it.
1: But have the optionality to bring it out.
2: That's right but then we use that for deposit on an extra owner-occupy and we still keep the full tax-deductible debt on the existing property. So it's horses for courses. You really want to look at each individual circumstance to work out what's going to work best for you.
1: Let's talk also about that changing environment for interest-only loans themselves, right? I've got clients and even myself where you'd never be planning to pay that loan off, right? <laughs> yeah. you, you know, I've got clients who have been interest-only on in the same house for 30 years. Yeah. And I guess a big directive from APRA has been we want people paying down their debt they can't have debt forever so what have they done in terms of those interest only loans
2: the maximum period you can get interest only is five years um which then eliminates the situation where people are sitting on a 30-year interest only term having not paid anything off their home loan and potentially not making any capital gain in their property as well.
1: Flogging a dead horse. Yeah. But at the same time also, you could be setting yourself up for pain where on a cash flow basis, you've set yourself up to pay X amount of money, but five years from now, there's no turning back unless you sell, which in some some cases you can't sell because yep. you're in negative equity. In a tough spot. Yeah. Uh, you, you have no chance. You can't refinance to a different bank they don't allow you to go on another five-year loan unless you have really strong circumstances. And the bank you're with have certainly just said, no, we're not giving you another five-year None loan. More. Yep. You're, st- you're stuck. So yeah. you, you really should be getting into that concept, understanding that you can do it with p in the first place.
2: Yes, yeah, right. And I think it comes back to also having a plan about what you want to do with the property. So whether you're buying an investment property or an owner occupier, Mm. have a plan and map it out for five or 10 years and have a rough idea of what you want to do. That way, you're not going to end up in a position in 10 years' time where you don't know what you're doing or you're stuck because of not paying off any principal or market conditions don't allow you to. We've
1: spoken about serviceability before and how different points affect our serviceability. Another point is that if we go on an interest-only loan, that affects our serviceability, doesn't it? It does,
2: yeah. It changes things, yeah. Um, And particularly, it becomes really relevant when you're coming off that interest-only period. Period. we talked about it before mm. um, but for people who've got interest only loans that are now three years old um, under the new lending environment they potentially don't qualify to have their own loan approved again
1: and, and I think a big reason for that is if you let's use an example you want you think you've got a 30 year loan you say well I want three years interest only because I think uh, I can. What that means now is the bank is now assessing you on 27 years. That's right. Which means your interest payments will go up because if, you, you know, if, you're 20, if your loan terms is only 27 years, your interest payments per month must go up to pay that all off. So what it does is whilst you may feel like you're getting a bit of a holiday for the first three years, you may actually get a decline from the bank because they say, well, yeah, cool. You know, interest only, you haven't had one before, that's fine. But now that you only want a 27-year repayment terms, you now can't service the debt.
2: And you're in a you're in a false sense of cash flow security for those three years. Either um, way,
1: you're not going to get the loan, are you? That's right, yeah. 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 So sometimes, you know, whilst it wasn't a really a factor before because the expense assessment wasn't really that critical a couple of years ago, now that it is, all the things add up. It's not just your expenses, your credit cards and whatnot. Interest only is a factor, isn't it? It is,
2: yeah. It definitely makes a big difference.
1: Aaron, as always, thanks
2: for coming in. I hope to see in, in soon. Thanks, Trent. Cheers. Thanks for having me.
1: We're now going to move across to the suburb spotlight for the week and this week it's Beachborough being a City of Swan suburb just outside of Morley Bayswater area in the northeast of Perth. Who better to help us through that analysis than Mr. Beachborough himself, Michael Samet from Samet Rosh and Associates. Mike, thanks for coming in and uh, let's talk Beachborough.
0: No problem. So first of all with Beachborough, if we have a look at the demographics and the type of people that live in the area. Yeah,
1: who's living in Beachboro? Why okay. are people moving to Beachboro?
0: Okay, so it's a very family orientated area. You have a lot of people who have originally built in the 70s and 80s when the area first came out, and yep. they've been there for a long time. You'll find generally 65 to 70% of the market stays in the area. So I know I grew up in Beachboro, I went to East Beachboro Primary School. Yep. And, um, to me, I love the area, and growing up in the area, it's um, yeah, it's fantastic. So, other things with that, you've got generally uh, low to medium income earners. Yep. Uh, with the median price being at a, at the moment around three hundred and seventy five thousand. Very the accessible, isn't it? It when is. When you
1: think about other suburbs around it, and you know the newer estates and whatnot, I guess it's an option for people if they don't need the new sparkly kitchen. Beechmere is pretty affordable and a good a good level of amenity.
0: That's right, that's right.
1: You've so got Altone Park, don't you? You've got, you've got Altone Park Shopping Centre, Alton Park uh, Recreation Centre, you've got Caramar Shops.
0: Yeah, from there, a whole range of high schools and primary schools as well, right through the area. You've obviously got Kiara College, they specialise in farming. Yep. And the bus routes through there are easily accessible to other areas such as Morley, Midland. It's the gateway to Swan Valley really, isn't it? It Beach is, Run? it's right next to the Swan Valley. Yeah. And within a... 10 minute drive you can be in a winery
1: tasting wine. Fantastic and a really good point here I think on that gentrification level that comes from having better accessibility to the city and you know, other jobs and whatnot. And what better way to have that than the new Gateway WA extension with Tonkin Highway and Reid Highway right on the corner there of Beechborough.
0: That's right it's fantastic what they're doing there. It's definitely cut Driving time out by a good five minutes getting to the city. Getting because, to the airport as well. Yeah, airport. No more traffic lights going through. Everything yep. just flows. Yeah. So let's talk about let's get into the numbers a bit more. What
1: sort of properties are we looking at here? They're obviously the seventies, eighties sort of origin, but we're not talking that straight up seven hundred and twenty eight square meter three by ones that you'd find in, you know, your Westminster Balga, cool cool mm-hmm. and whatnot. They're a little newer than that, aren't they?
0: That's right. Yep. A lot of the suburbs in Beachborough, the first stage opened up in around nineteen 19- Eighty-five, and that went through to around the early nineties. Hmm. The further east that you go, that's the older pocket of Beachborough. Yeah, okay. And then the areas bordering with Morley—they sort of came out in the early nineties. Okay. So you've got a whole range of properties that not only look modern, the internals are still quite good. They don't need renovation straight away.
1: But if you wanted to, they've got the bones for it. That's it, right. It's in that era where it's double brick, really could you still with a good render, a new kitchen, and voila, you've got yourself a fairly new internal house.
0: That's right. And a good thing with it as well is back then they were using Jarrah and the roofs. So the roofs are really strong. It's not going to be the pine and things like that. Mm. Uh, Tile roofs. And the only thing that you'll find is generally back then, they only ever built three-by-ones or four-by-twos. Yeah, okay. So if you're looking for a property that's a three-by-two, Generally, you're not going to find too much unless it's something that's been subdivided and and developed. Developed exactly. Which is
1: it's a good point, isn't it? Where you've got these sort of 700 to 850, 900 square metre blocks in Beach Pra. Yep. You've got three by ones, four by twos. A lot of them, or most of them, really now having that development potential. Where it was an R20 slash R30, R35s Mm -hmm. now. And
0: that opens up with some rules. Yes. Opportunities to develop. Let's talk about that. That's right. With the recent rezoning that's come through, it came through in November 2015. Mm. Very new. People really haven't on yet? Have they? That's right. What happened is they brought in a range of zones through the area. So originally it was R20, which means you needed a fairly big block to be able to subdivide over 900 square meters. Yeah, and that
1: well, really doesn't exist, does it? Not. It, there's, there's only a couple around.
0: Yeah, you could you could count them on your hand. Yep. Whereas now just about every property in the area does have some sort of potential.
1: Because it's got that split zoning. Exactly. What do you have to do to get to that split zoning, though?
0: Okay. Where we've got it at the moment, there's a few different zones that are throughout the area. Each property is going to be different. So you've got a range between R35, R40, and R50. The higher zonings, like the R50s, they're the ones that are within 500 meters of your shopping centers. You've got some R40s which are corner blocks throughout the area mm-hmm. and the rest of it is going to be R35. Mm. So what that means is most of the blocks throughout the area have some sort of development potential. It's important to look at the property in regards to where it's positioned on the block and mm. whether it can be retained and subdivided yep. in that style. The City of Swan have brought out a rule in regards to it that says that you're restricted to only doing two properties on the one block.
1: Unless you've got? A corner block or maybe 1,300 square oh, metres, that's right. which is just not. Unless yeah. you amalgamate two blocks, yep. you're not going to find a right. beach bro.
0: Yeah, that's right. So the way to get around it is if you've got a corner block, you can subdivide in stages where you're actually able to do it like that. It's a bit of a loophole in yep. the system, Yep. except most of the suburb is only restricted to two properties on one block. Yeah. So let's say you've got a 700 square metre block and it's zoned R50, you can still only do two. You can still only do two, even yeah. though the R code says that you can do three or four on it.
1: Yeah, but they've got this policy on top of that saying you can only do more than two if you've got over thirteen hundred square meters yep. to play with. Which you just it's a very rare case that you and your neighbour, or you're going to want to buy the house next door as well to get it done. Yep. I think it's appropriate, Michael, where we're talking about a suburb that's what twenty k's out of the city.
0: No, uh, about twelve.
1: Is it just twelve? Yeah. Well, that's there. You go. Even at that point, though, we're probably not needing higher density than two on a lot right now that's
0: right and they're trying to create it that way because they don't want it to go along the lines of some of the areas like Balga and things like that
1: Yeah, where it's just a denser version of what it was exactly and
0: even areas like that they're looking at bringing that R code back down again to try and reduce the amount of density coming into the area
1: yeah because it's it's just all it's done is create an oversupply of a different type of product. That's right. Yeah, which a lot of the time, especially in those medium to lower level demographics, the products that are being built, whilst they look shiny for the first five years, 15 years later... It's just another version of that, a denser version of that lower socioeconomic level. Yeah. Which leads to more crime, defeats the purpose of the whole re- rezoning in the first place. That's right.
0: So the way that they've got it in Beachboro is quite good because mm. you're still going to be maintaining good-sized blocks. People are going to have their own backyards. They can
1: still make some money developing. Exactly.
0: Well, let's move on to, uh, I guess, another
1: point that I think is you know it's interesting is, is what type of buyers are you seeing? Yeah. Coming,
0: coming into the area. Who's, who's rocking up at, at your uh, shop window? All right. So there's a lot of first-time buyers just because it's within that affordable range for yeah. people. Are they uh, local Local first home buyers? They are because people that have grown up in the area, they like the area, they're going to try and stay in the area. You've got mum and dad that live around the corner. Yep. Um, you know, same as me, I've got family that still live in Beachborough and generally you'd stay around the area. So you've got the kids who are looking at buying their first home, mm. and because of the development potential that's come through as well, it's also a good investment for them because they're able to possibly subdivide five years down the track to try and get ahead in life or they may be
1: that market that wants to buy that they may look and go look i'm not interested in developing mm-hmm. but for the same money i'm happy to pay for a brand new three by two at the back of a house that was developed that's right and that's that market that's paying for those development blocks exactly yeah that, that makes sense and is, uh, is that leading to our next point of what's selling is it are you are you seeing that development blocks are the real crown jewel in Bro or are the other other types of properties that are selling pretty well as well
0: all of the properties are selling well. I find that the ones that do have development potential do have a lot more demand on them, especially when you have corner blocks, things like that. a bit easier. It, it makes it a bit easier yep. to subdivide, except if you've got your side access, your rear block, those ones are prime at the moment.
1: Yeah, and they'll, they'll they'll sell for a premium. That's right, definitely. What I'm taking from this in Beechborough is medium to lower socioeconomic area with some good potential in the development side to just have a look and see can we put in place a pretty easy house behind a house strategy at a very affordable buy-in price as an investment. But on the flip side, a really good opportunity for first home buyers as well to come in and get something that's either going to make them money or that is on an affordable level compared to maybe a Cavisham, Mm -hmm. going to be able to find
0: these new 3 by 2 products. Exactly. And it's also good for people looking for their first investment property. Because you've got decent rental yields coming in. Yep, just as a passive investment. Exactly. Something that you can sit there for five years, ten years just to receive rental and then later on down the track whether you sell or subdivide. Yep. It's giving investors options and it's doing it in an affordable way.
1: Michael, thanks for your time and thanks for sharing uh, your home turf.
0: No worries. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Perth Property Show.